to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. I have such a treat for you today. Today's interview is with Dr. Lisette Nieves, who is a personal friend and mentor of mine. She, for those of you who know in New York, is a luminary, a leader, a pioneer. Currently, she is a professor at NYU Steinhardt, and prior to that was running multiple nonprofits and really has become one of the pioneers and pillars in the community. So today, we're talking about all the things related to grace, generosity, leadership, staff, and board. Don't forget to check out her piece about board management. So many gems that she's dropping there. Full disclosure, though, I did have a little bit of a tech snafu. So the interview is in the middle. You're joining in the middle of a conversation, but we'll be sure to have Lisette back to talk another time. Lisette also has her own consulting business and coaching practice, and so I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. But in the meantime, enjoy the interview. I really did. It was fantastic. Also, if there are folks who are out there who want special interviews, please feel free to reach out at riawong at gmail.com, and we will get to that. So so I think you were talking about founders. Yeah, I was saying one thing about founders that I think is pretty important is that, and I was saying in relationship to behavioral economics and fighting status quo bias, is that we really need to make sure that we're reminding people that the future is so much better than what they're experiencing in the present, which is the process of change. Mm. And if we can continue to do that, then we're being our best self and we're helping others. The challenge is that sometimes we don't know always on that journey, but we're, we're hopeful for it. That's what makes us um, founders. So what that means, I think, though, for, for some folks in, in leadership position is that that requires an enormous amount of communication. And I mean, I teach an org theory course, one of my favorite courses. And, and the thing I would say is leaders under communicate all the time. And I think some of it is because what they have in their head, what they're thinking about all the time is not what everybody else is thinking about all the time. That's right. And so this piece of the, the emotional piece of learning needs to be fed by leaders. And so they need to be communicated with and they need to feel like they're on a journey together. What's beautiful about leadership is when you realize your best work is done through others, is that you don't have to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. There are people in your organizations that are gifted at doing this. And that's what I'm saying. Like, If you're a leader and you're not obsessed about talent, you're not a leader either, right? Mm-hmm. Self-awareness and obsession about talent. But when you see someone who has that kind of um, that persuasive power and that level of gravitas and trust in the organization, you need to cultivate that person to help be the mouthpiece Mm. for change. So there are a lot of different directions um, I can take this, but I want to talk a little bit about the the maturing of a leader. So as a leader, I mean, I was a 26-year-old ED. I talk about that all the time. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really until I got older um, and, and this is something that you couldn't tell me when I was 26, right? Because I was smart and I was hardworking. I was going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got older into my 30s and even my mid-30s was when I really started to understand the responsibility of leadership and also 
I was personally maturing enough and and I think a part of it is a spiritual practice I had around meditation and doing yoga and cultivating some real sense of abundance and faith that everything is going to be okay. So could you talk a little bit about your relationship to leadership and spirituality if you have a practice? Sure. Uh, yoga is not my practice. I don't even think I've been to a yoga class. I probably wouldn't survive a yoga class. Nothing against yoga at all. I actually admire it. <laughs> Come to yoga class with me. <laughs> I, I, I may have to do that. I may have to do that. Um, but I would say for me is I have a very... It is hard to found something and not be an optimist. I have a strong and unwavering belief in the good side of humanity. Mm. I truly believe that. I really believe the majority of people want to do the right thing. I do. And, and I'm not Pollyanna. Let me make that very clear. I grew up in a tough circumstance, it, you know, and, and still in a loving home. But I will tell you, I do believe in that. And I think that's important because um, that is a big part of, of what gives me a sense of faith. Um, I am someone who does have faith. I often don't speak about my faith, but I do. I go to church when I can, and that's an important piece for me. And it's, I consider it a personal relationship that I have, um, and I'm, I'm proud of that. It means a lot to me. Uh, but I would say this notion of feeding yourself as a leader, I've hit walls at different times in my career where I have burned myself out, and I've had to refuel and I will tell you that um, giving from an empty cup is, is not a good thing. Mm. Um, but that's sometimes who we are. I, I love the age that I'm at now. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, and I'm still learning things about me, yeah. which, which inspires me, right? And I do. And that's why when I started talking with you, this notion of reimagining, right? Like, so what, is, what does it do? It, a, how do you forgive yourself? That's really important for me. Faith is important in that, too. Um, how do you forgive others? Faith is important for me in that. Um, and how do you believe in what could be the best of this world? Faith is important for me in those. So yeah. those three things. So the way that you're talking about human beings is beautiful, and it sounds like, at, like when it flows, it's this beautiful symphony of harmonic sound. But what happens, and maybe you can share an experience of like, when it gets tough because you know any leader oh, no. oh. has had situations where like they've had to let people go or they've had to give tough feedback or like they've oh, had, a, <laughs> they've no. had a situation go sideways and so oh let me make it very clear just because i believe in that doesn't mean that i haven't personally experienced the ugly side of humanity right or been through my own trauma or things like that i totally have or have been in environments and you can't work with young people and not realize how ugly humanity can be and mm-hmm. and and what was not a choice of their own, how they've been treated. So, so I definitely see all that. I will tell you, I also know that hurt people hurt other people, mm. right? And so I often realize people are fighting and acting out, and they're not fighting and acting out about what typically or usually they're saying what they're fighting and acting out about. Mm-hmm. So there are signs in an organization that happen a little bit earlier. And I think a lot about the morale in an organization. It's not about feeling good. It's about feeling useful, right? Mm. Right? Feeling good for some people, I, I think it's useful that's more important. Because useful and purpose is, to me are much more important than feeling good. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, are we making sure that people feel useful mm -hmm. uh, um, and that they understand that they are part of something bigger? So I always, you know, you can, you're going to always have, I would say it's a 10% rule. There's always going to be 10% that's going to be local. You know, that's going to, you know, we're going to have things and they're going to be difficult. And you and I have talked about different things over our professional lives where people are not behaving the way they should behave. And it's hard because we're so proud and we're, we're self-congratulatory that we know talent and we know people. How could this happen to us? Mm -hmm. What I mean is we're human. Yeah. We're human. And sometimes those relationships don't go well. Um, I've had to have many a difficult conversation. Um, I have to tell you, people love pulling me in difficult conversations. Maybe because I'm calm. Yeah. Um, but I, you I know. put you in my corner. <laughs> Whatever Liz said, said. That just, <laughs> but I, I do think, I think people, all you can do is really hear people out. And, mm -hmm. if, and for many people, just knowing they've been listened to or heard is enough sometimes. Mm -hmm. Others are fighting other battles that have nothing to do with you, but that you're getting all the blowback from. Mm. And that is not fun. I've been in those situations too. Um, and so, you know, they aren't pleasant. Mm -hmm. But th this is where you have to also understand there is there is a there is an intellectual and process piece of, of leading an organization. You got to know your bylaws. You got to know law in general. Mm -hmm. To think you don't, you have to be an incredible generalist, and you have to know when you have to bring in counsel sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's not fun. We don't like to think of that, but you have to. Mm -hmm. um, and those haven't been pleasant. Mm -hmm. But I I don't know anyone who's who's my age who hasn't encountered that at least once. So. Let's talk about the emotional side of leadership. So we talk oh a little goodness. bit about you know, the <laughs> emotional labor of leadership. And I think, you know, I, I can only know my own experience, but it seems to me that as female leaders, we're asked to do a lot more emotional labor um, as far as taking care of, caretaking in the organization and external to the organization. And so I'm just wondering... Um, Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> emotionally, I you, you know exactly yeah. what Oh, absolutely. I think it's a fascinating thing. I think so, so often, um, so many times, you know, it's so, it's fascinating. When people want to pay you a compliment, and especially working around young people, they go, my God, you're like a mom. Oh my God, right? I got this all the time. I was like, yeah. I'm not a mom, I'm a boss. <laughs> yeah, you know, and for, we have to understand for young people, their first, and not for all young people, maybe that kind of caring, trusting. That's the only language they know to translate that, mm -hmm. and they say a mom. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've never heard the men on my team say, you're like a dad, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And that, cra that, that cracks me up in a way, but it also really, it almost unintentionally um, socializes women around in, in a way that maybe is not open. It's clearly binary yeah. <laughs> then we shouldn't be thinking about it that way but you get my point like yeah. there's a part of me that I get that and I'm just like that's so fascinating yeah and I push back and I say that's great I said well you know all mothers are different yeah. so I, I joked to one of my young people one day and I was like oh, all those young people all mothers are different and he said yeah but I mean this I said then say that yeah so I remember my question which is like the limits of emotional responsibility because yeah. I think sometimes oh. I I'll speak for myself, having 
being a young leader and a young manager, I took on other people's stuff and tried to fix it or tried to make it my stuff. And so how do you recognize when it's like, not your circus, not your monkeys, and you're, you care yeah. about someone, you care about your employee, what yeah. have you, and also realize this emotional shrapnel is like, not about you, not my stuff. So I have to hold the line as a leader and as a manager to protect the organization. And how can I like care about you personally, but hold the line professionally? <laughs> um, when you're founding something, you're already emotionally invested. Mm. You feel you have everything on the line with it. Mm -hmm. Your name is your brand mm -hmm. and is now the organization, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot rolled up in that. And so separating the emotion from that is not as easy as you think. And as I said, learning is very emotional and we always ignore that side of learning. Um, and so one of the things that, um, you know, I train on it, but I've done it for many years on strength finders. And one of my top strengths is responsibility. And when responsibility is working great, which is I care deeply about it to the point where I'm going to work hard for it, you name it, all that stuff. And the flip side of that is that I have such personal ownership of it, it's hard to let go of. And I've seen that, and that's the exhausting side of it. What I've learned is that I have to have other people mm -hmm. do it. And that's where I'm talking about the, for some, it's like an absolute surrender to realize your best work is done through others. So you have to do that. Um, two is I'm really aware, and I will say this, particularly as a young woman of color growing up, public school system, um, how how we strip young people, poor people, marginalized communities, people of color of their own agency in the name of us helping them. Mm. And I remember that, and I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, so much about how I talk to you, how I don't raise my tone, how I make sure we're at the same eye level, those things are really important to me um, in how I communicate with someone so that I'm reminded that they have a role in owning this too. Mm -hmm. And that's helpful to me. Mm -hmm. It keeps me in check. Mm -hmm. um, but have I, have I, you know, so for me with young adults in particular, it's been really good to work with a team that has that same philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, we all have to work on ourselves and know when I call, you know, when you have to tag out or tap out. Um, and we used to have this term year up amongst a group of us, particularly with one of probably one of the most skilled um, youth workers I've ever met, which is Charmaine Pirito Singh. And, and one thing we used to joke about with is she understood when I'd have to tap out mm -hmm. because that person was almost too close to me mm -hmm. emotionally. They didn't know it, but they were hitting something. And so you have to, that self-awareness piece is really important. Mm -hmm. Their narrative hit hit very close to my own personal narrative. And um, there are times, of course, we have to put that aside, but it's good to know when you have others to count on to do that. But I, I would say that's, that's important to always be aware of where you're at. For some, it's through spiritual practice. Some, it's through therapy. Some, it's a combination of those things. Mm -hmm. Some, it's through friends that you trust or things like that. We always have to make sure we're not bringing all of our baggage to the table. Mm. work for me is not an apology, right? That's not how I understand work. Mm -hmm. 
Work for me is about purpose and mission with the values that people have agency and I cannot strip them of their agency in the name of doing good, mm. right? So if that's the case, I have to make sure I put safeguards in how, A, I take care of myself, but A, how I communicate that to my team that is a value we all need to have, mm-hmm. right? So on that note, though, so you, you talked a little bit about how one becomes more self-aware as a leader. It's mm-hmm. you know, through friends or having people who will tell you the truth about mm-hmm. yourself. Therapy, I mean, I... I believe there are many leaders out there who need a lot of therapy because mm-hmm. they're sort of spiritualizing their hysteria oh, and very, inflicting oh, it yes. on other people. Yeah. Um, what about coaching? So as oh, a yeah. coach yourself, like what, yeah. what does coaching oh, my goodness. mean? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So first, any coach who's not getting their own coaching, you need it. Yeah. You need it. I think that's part of the empty cup thing. I think when I think about um, coaching... It is that it's like a blend of all those other things. Mm-hmm. A coach can can serve as a blend of the spiritual, the therapeutic, the educational. All the, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It depends on what style coach you want, mm-hmm. what you need, those kinds of things. So I would say, you know, when I think about coaching, that has been so important for me mm-hmm. to always be reminded, particularly in the toughest times, that a I have been through worse. B, other people are going through it at the same time. And C, this is, you have a gift that when things get really tough, you can help people navigate that. I realize that's where I work well. That, that probably comes from the way I've been socialized, brought up, all those things, but that I can do. So, so for me, I do think this notion of coaching should happen very early in someone's life and career. Mm-hmm. I say in particular women of color, especially the work I've done with Lingo, um, between 24 and 35 very rarely get coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfair to them because mm-hmm. those are important pivot points of, of career kind of where they generate um, title, wealth, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. opportunities. And so so coaching is is clearly an important part of that. And I'm, I, you know... It's like the hair club for men. I'm not just coach. I benefit from coaching too. Yeah. So last question, because we talked a lot about staff leadership and staff management. We haven't talked about board leadership. And I think, Mm. you know, one of the challenges that I I really struggle with, and I know others do as well, is you have your staff and, you know, to some extent, because you are their boss, like there are, you have more direct control and power, right? Whether it's informal right, right. power, and um, right. you have com- they'll be, they'll comply. They will comply. That doesn't mean they commit, right? That's Compliance right. is not commitment, but at least they comply. Right, right, right. Um, and, and then you also have you know more direct control over who you hire and, and oh, aligned with yes. your values and the culture of your organization and yeah. so forth. Tell me a little bit about your philosophy and strategies around board management, because I often think, like as we know, boards tend to look very differently than staff or yes. or the folks that we are serving yeah they have oh i have a lot of views on boards oh i'm sure you, i have i have give tons it, of give it, give it all the, to me, the so. number one rule of mine and watch this come out in an article is um you never want a board board mm. okay that's number one yep so people hoard boards and, and people to boards then they don't know what to do with them yep and so I will say this, particularly for 
Um, people often want to build a board and say, it's my fundraising board, they're going to be high net worth. High net worth individuals do not need a board seat to give money. Mm-hmm. All right? So the assumption that they need that is not accurate. In fact, some of the best supporters that I've had have been in advisory capacities to do that. I sit on five boards right now. I'd rather be an advisor and make a donation somewhere than be on a board. I'm just being honest with you. It depends on the board, of course. But, you know, I say that. So one is you want to be real conscious of that. Why do you want that? If you have the gift to not have to have a board right away, then I was in a circumstance where I took on a board and one where I could build a board. If you get to build a board, I would try them all as in an advisory capacity to begin Mm. with. And I often will ask people, I really just need a champion. Would you be willing to make a call on my behalf? That's what you need, right? And so that's great. So you think about, first of all, what do you need? And then when you think about the board, I think people so often think, I just have to have a money board and that's the way it goes. I actually think that's short-sighted. And I think then you're stuck with a complete misconnect at times within the organization and then people are like oh woe is me I have no people of color on my board but you know we have a 50,000 give get I said you don't want people on of color on your board you made a decision what your priority was mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean people of color can't give that they can but I mean again just look at way things are what have you valued more than anything else mm-hmm. so this becomes a question of you know what do you think a purpose of a board is? And for me, the board should be people that you trust, but that are your champions and believe in the mission. And they can come in a variety of different forms. Right? I, I think that's a really important piece and that they want to get some work done that you need to get done for the board. Mm-hmm. I don't, other than the uh, IRS requirements or you know, it could be a bylaw requirements. I don't believe in standing committees necessarily. Mm-hmm. I believe in working groups. I think you should rotate the board to sit on different groups as well. I believe in term limits on boards. Um, that's really important. And I believe in a board doing its own self-evaluation. And I also believe in boards. This is board good board governance practice that I've enjoyed too, where they have private time with the CEO and then get to be with the rest of the team and understand how they function. Mm-hmm. So so that might have been too much at no, once I... for you and thinking about the board piece, but I I will tell you that, you know, when you have someone as a board member, you're choosing to get married to them. That's right. <laughs> and that's right. There's some people that don't need to go past the altar. Right? So there's some people who don't need to get past the first date. Exactly. Yes. And in the name of a donation, be really conscious of that. I see people saying, Oh my god, they be I talk to people all the time, like, Lisette, you're gonna be on the board? I said, No. What do you need me for? What do you need? Right. Well, can I use your name? Yeah. I don't have to be on the board for you to use the name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Would you like me to call someone else? Yeah. Do that, right? But I would say, you know, I think and some people really, you know, have this, they beat their chest um, because they have a board that is a wealthy board, right? And it's like a badge of honor. And I'm just like, it has to reflect the values that you have. Mm. If that is the only way you believe you're going to raise money, then that is your board identity and you're stuck with that. Mm-hmm. That's fine if you're happy with that. I just often meet people and coach people 
who have taken people on who they are not happy with. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, why'd you take them on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, well, and, you know, and, and I think so many folks have legacy boards that they inherit and trying okay. to shift the culture. Well, of a let's, board. let's talk about that one. That's an important one where I'm talking about board term limits. Yeah. Right? I really feel strong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that. I think that's important for good governance. Um, wow. Yes, trust me, I've been on, oh yeah, I know. And I've had to deal with some of the legacy stuff. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And um, that's, that's not an easy one, right? Because governance, it depends also on the type of organization and things like that. I mean, people who have been board members on some boards I've been on for 30 years, and that just blows me away. Yeah. But people allow it to happen. Nobody yeah. wants to take that on. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many instances of bad board governance and bad leadership. Like, yeah. you know, for example, board chairs who never want to give up the board chair position yeah. or who, you know, have stacked the board with their personal friends and, like, basically it's a yes. social club or they see it as a way to build their own business. I mean, I just think that there's a lot. And I think as an ED, it's hard because you're trying to manage upward. And at the same time, they are technically your boss. So it's like this weird dynamic of who's in charge here and what values do we espouse and are our values aligned both on the level of the organization and on the level of the board. And I think it's hard to get total alignment. I think it is hard to get alignment, but I would say as well, too, that that board board thing is really important. You know, if I have a board member who keeps calling me, and drive me a little crazy. Mm. I'd have a running joke with my deputy, who's a wonderful woman, and I'd say to her, this person's bored, they don't have enough to do. I need a project stat for this person, mm. because this is not gonna continue. Yep, I love that. Right? And I think that's why, these, when people say they have a board of 25, what do you do with a board of 25 people? <laughs> I don't even have a staff of 25 Exactly, people. but yeah. you'll see boards, right? And yeah. a part of me is like, I, and I think that, I think people forget that they are volunteering their time and they want to be invited, invited to be useful. Mm. goes back to that. Mm-hmm. And if, we, if you do not see that they need that first, mm-hmm. then you're not seeing the big picture, right? So we did something with a board that, um, that was managing me. I guess I was managing them too. Always understand it's both ways. Um, where I realized, oh my goodness, you know, half of this board, economically and socially, is just on the opposite end of the organization we're with. And we introduced a family service day. You would think that I was the second coming of Christ. That was so successful. Mm. Because what I realized is that for people of means and well, that they didn't know how to translate some, some, not all, these individuals didn't know how to translate, how to communicate the values of why they were on this board and what it meant for their kids to have opportunity in the way others don't. Mm. And that kind of family service project was very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, Who would have known, right? Mm -hmm. But I was like, okay, because I can't be getting the call from the wife and then everything was happening, you know. But I, I think that this piece around, 
usefulness is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And um, and I really thought about each individual board member and where they could be of use. And and people love that. I love it too. I love. It. What do you need me for? I, you know what? I'm like you, Ria. I'm gonna do it. Great. I can do it. Mm -hmm. It could be off my list. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm happy to do that for you. So. Yeah. What I think is a challenge with being an executive director is that so often you forget how much work it takes you in managing a board. Oh, girl. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole yeah. other podcast so, conversation. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. don't doubt don't doubt that when people are acting strange, they just they need to be put to use. Yes, yes, I love that. Well, is it? This is the end of our time. I so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the pod. And I'd love to have you come back at some later point and we can talk about board governance issues because I think that's a whole other podcast. Oh, Rhea, it would be an honor to come back. And I'm waiting to see you on your own YouTube channel and all that oh, soon. Yeah, I'm I, convincing oh, you yeah, to do that. I can't that. do it. I, 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 can't, I can't watch myself on video, but thank you. <laughs> thank you.